You're trying to bait me there, weren't you? No, that was a real breath. I I, I didn't feel that you were extra cheeky today. That oh, I had to just go normal there. Normal cheeky. Just yeah, just your normal <laughs> cheeky level. Check the cheek. Cheeky cheeky level check check. I'm check, cheeky. Check. I'm cheeky chic. <laughs> Are you cheeky chic? Yeah. Your cheek and chic. Yeah. Checking the cheeky level. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Storyman Podcast, episode 184. I am Clay Morgan. I'm J.R. Foresteros. And Matt Michelotis is not with us today. He is on assignment doing Lord knows what, God well, knows where. We should explain. So Matt is at a crew <laughs> leadership conference doing some kind of a seminar, but we're recording earlier in the day mm-hmm. because our guest today is British and, and lives in Great Britain. Her, and name, so, her name is Dr. Elaine Storkey. And she has the best accent. Because Possibly our new favorite person. She says cool things with that distinct British manner, like, when I was in the Congo. And you're just like off on a story about one of her amazing travels. She spent eight years writing the book Scars, Against, Scars Across Humanity, which we are going to talk about with her today. Yeah, uh, but before that, we should probably get to our stories of the week. Stories of the week. It's time for Storyman Stories of the Week. So, Clay, what do you have this week? Okay, it has been called The Miracle on Snow. And, JR, this is for you because, you know, you don't watch the Olympics, and I understand that. I would never say anybody should watch the Olympics, especially the Winter Olympics. I mean, America's not winning all the medals. But there's one cool story that some people might have heard of about a snowboarder from Czechoslovakia, from the Czech Republic. And uh, she basically entered a skiing event. She's been skiing for a couple years. She's ranked like 70th in the world or something. And um, her name is Esther Ledecka. So there's some famous people like Lindsey Vaughn and all the best skiers in the world. They all did their thing on national TV. And they basically said, there's the gold medalist. They, they announced the winners and they cut away to figure skating. Because the only skiers who were left were like these people who had no chance of ever doing anything. Like, literally, the athletes were all celebrating their gold, silver, and bronze. Well, Esther Ledecka, borrowing American Michaela Schifrin skis, comes flying down the mountain. You only get one chance to get down the mountain. And she finishes, and the scoreboard says that she has won by one hundredth of a second. Whoa. And she stands there in disbelief, like, waiting for the glitch to go away. She didn't think she had a chance to win. Like, nobody did. There wasn't even television coverage and it turns out that in fact on borrowed skis she literally was the fastest downhill skier in the world and cool. um, it was just incredible watching she t- she kept her goggles on during the press conference she said i didn't wear makeup because i didn't think i was going to be on tv <laughs> so wow she's actually a snowboarder who's going to be competing in a couple more events i think but it was just such a funny it was just such a fun story and um the miracle on snow well, mine's much darker than that. <laughs> yeah, I figured uh, I needed some some lightness. Uh, mine is a story from the Washington Post this last week called Resist White Supremacy, mm. Sign 
a farm, and the fury that followed. And we'll post the link in the show notes. But in uh, Northern Virginia, there is a farm that has a historically uh, had the sign. They've had a sign on their land that they that has said things like "We love our Muslim neighbors" or "Immigrants make America great." Okay. Um, and they posted one called rise and resist, and it had gotten a bunch of angry reactions from a bunch of people. And so they decided to, uh, change the sign to something that they thought everyone could agree on. And so almost exactly six months since Charlottesville, they changed the sign to say resist white supremacy. Now that seems like a fairly universal thing that most of us could get behind, right? Yeah. Who likes white supremacy? Right. Uh, besides neo-Nazis. Oh, wait. Right? White supremacists. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it it ignited a firestorm. And again, you can read through more of it in the article. But but the the farm owners were, were genuinely shocked that uh, so many people were like mad that they put up the sign. Mm. Uh, that specific sign. So it's like a three uh, billboards kind of crossover. Real yeah. Life. Like a really just kind of a really interesting news story. And wow. it, it's probably worth reading. Okay. Um, I wanted to offer one more bonus story in Matt's place since he's not here. An honorary cool? Matt story of the week. Uh, yes. So our friend Lori Langdon, author of the Dune series, we've had her on the oh, show yeah, several yeah. times. Uh, she has a new book coming out in just a couple of weeks called Olivia Twist, yeah. which is a reimagining of the Oliver Twist story. What if Oliver was actually a girl who had been uh, disguising her gender to so cool. stay safe in uh, Dickensian London? I heard it's going to be and, in, on sale at Target. She said that they got yes, Target distribution. Hardback wow. at Target. This is amazing. Yeah. For people that don't know, trust me, that's like an author's dream. Yeah. Um, so she and another author named Heather Webb, who has one out, uh, another similar book called the Phantom's apprentice, which is sort of like ta- taking on the, the Phantom of the opera. Hmm. Uh, they got to do, and they basically got to interview each other in entertainment weekly at entertainmentweekly.com. Yeah. And so we'll post the link there, but they both talk about how they sort of went into figuring out the, the time period and researching these roles and where the ideas came from and all that. It's a fun interview. They're the two are friends. And so it was really fun to kind of read them going back and forth. It reminded me of the J, but what, what uh, column that you used to do Mm kind of had that kind of vibe, a little less snarky, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, really fun Two authors celebrating each other's books and, and in entertainment weekly, like that's just, amazing yeah so good for uh, we're, her we're really proud of Lori. we're really looking forward to the book she's actually guest editing my newsletter next week or this week i guess when you're hearing this episode so uh if you want to hear what she has to pick and get an interview uh kind of behind the scenes with olivia twist you can subscribe to the newsletter and, and get that uh on friday i'll have to decide if i'm going to read it or listen to it uh on audio version on audible yeah. So again, Lori, congrats. We're so proud of you. And uh, hopefully you'll still come on the show and talk about Olivia Twist. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, well, one more thing before we get into our interview, we should probably get to our pop culture pick of the week. Obviously. Everyone's papow this week is Black Ubs. Panther. Ubs. That, that comes as no surprise at all, I'm sure. Kendrick Lamar rented out like three theaters for a bunch of um, low-income families so the kids could all go see it. Uh, I think I heard that uh, Octavia Spencer did the same thing uh, like down in Mississippi, I think. I love if, that they're doing yeah. voter registration at the theaters. That's amazing. Yeah. So so you got to see it over the weekend, as did I. What did mm-hmm. you think? 
I, it was really a marvel. And this is the kind of this is kind of the cultural moment where it's bigger than the movie, right? So, as as storytelling goes, it's it's wonderful. Character development is so so tight. And I know you have thoughts on the best Marvel villains of all time, um, cinematically. But I would say that the experience of going to the theater was also different. We we are not used to only having options in the very front row, which we gladly accepted because the Alamo is a great you know venue. Uh, and the people that filtered in alongside us, it was a sold out, the, the entire theater sold out every showing this weekend. And there were people coming in next to us, uh, some black, some white, who clearly were not typical moviegoers. And this movie is reaching across that that divide and pulling people in to experience what is really capturing uh, the moment of a, of, a, of, of a great conversation that needs to happen more. And showing Hollywood that uh, pretty much an all-black movie can definitely make some money, which Hollywood cares about. Yeah, I mean, this movie's broken every record that there is practically. It's the biggest solo superhero debut of all time. It's biggest film uh, not directed by a white guy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, I, I mean, I, I said when I got out of it in my little review haiku that it's Shakespearean. I mean, the the plot is so much richer than what we get from superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, every single character, you understood their motivation. We're going to. I'm gonna stop. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a whole episode on Black Panther. Try to bring in some guests and all that. But yeah, we just we couldn't like ignore that we saw Black Panther yeah. and that it's amazing and that we haven't got to talk about it yet. So an entire Marvel movie that doesn't take place in a London, New York, L.A. or space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so good. All right. Well, that brings up uh, a crossover because I'm gonna make my papal this week really Chadwick Boseman's other stuff. I've been a huge fan of him uh, for years now. He's not done a ton of movies, but what he does, he does so well. And he's he's really kind of the man of the moment here and probably feeling a tremendous amount of pressure, too. But, you know, he's played Jackie Robinson in 42. He's played uh, Thurgood Marshall in Marshall. He played James Brown in Get On Up. And, I mean, that James Brown, that movie is probably the weakest of all the films overall, but it's it's a good biopic. And he is he is magical in it when you watch what he does. So if you haven't seen Chadwick Boseman's other movies, do that. Yeah. Um, so my pick is going to be a little different. It's a book that my homie Jeff Sweeney turned me on to. It's called Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. He's a Brit, but I assume he's related to the Russian composer type Tchaikovsky. Right. I mean, how many of those can there be? Anyway, I'm going to give you the real quick pitch of the book, and then I'm sure you're going to want to read it. So it's far future. Humans have started terraforming other worlds. And one of the ways they do it is sending down a ship full of monkeys along with a nanovirus that is designed to to hyper speed up evolution. Mm. So that by the time the human colonists get there, there's like a race of intelligent, servile creatures there that are going to help them colonize the planet. Uh, On this particular planet, though, the ship with the monkeys in it crashes and explodes, and so there are no primates for the nanovirus to target, so it uplifts spiders. Spiders? Spiders. So by the time the humans arrive, uh, there is a race of – and it's not like spider humans. Uh It's like what if spiders just evolved to be the dominant intelligent life? Like what would their language look like? What would they build out of? Um, How would their technology advance uh, if it was spiders instead of primates? And it's like at once horrifying and fascinating and – the way that the way that story is told with like chronological jumps, uh-huh. you get um, 
you get a lot of like the process of spider development. So it's like kind of when they're hunter gatherer, kind of when they first start domesticating uh, things uh, like sort of uh, like early bronze age esque technology, um, religious wars and like what we would kind of identify as like medieval stuff. It's, it's just, it's really brilliantly done. Mm. Uh, And yeah, I'm I'm almost finished with the book, but I've been telling everyone about it. And it's just, it's one of those concepts that's so well realized that it's just really a treat to read. Uh, is there a wave of uh, spider patriarchy? Well, it's actually matriarchy because oh. in spider culture or in the spider culture <laughs> with, with, with spiders, you know, the females typically kill the males after they mate. And so there's actually oh. one of one of the big plots midway through the book is that one of the males like the, the males are not considered equally intelligent and they're not considered to be equally worth uh, rights. Mm. And and as spider culture develops, it kind of becomes like a little bit in poor taste to kill the male after you mate, but it still happens. Or, you know, sometimes the young teenage female spiders will go into the like ghetto parts of the spider city and kill a male. Cause you know, girls will be girls. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's, I'm telling you, like, it's just, it's really, really brilliantly done. Um, it's, it's really, uh, this guy has to be some kind of a sociologist or something. And again, the way it feels, it doesn't feel like just human culture with spider painted over it. It really does feel like this fully realized spider culture and what that would be like. It's, it's, it's really staggeringly cool. And then again, humans end up interacting with them. So that's even like crazy too. Well, we might um, have to get Mr. Tchaikovsky. It misses or Mr. Mr. It, yeah. Uh, Tchaikovsky on the show. Yeah. So anyway, that's Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. It's it's sci-fi. It's great. Um, okay. So let's uh, let's get over to our interview today. Mm-hmm. Our guest is Dr. Elaine Storkey. Uh, her new book, just released from InterVarsity Press Academic, is called Scars Across Humanity: Understanding and Overcoming Violence Against Women. Uh, Dr. Storkey is an English philosopher, sociologist, and theologian. Uh, she has lectured all over, uh, both in the UK and in the United States. Uh, she's written just a ton of books, including What's Right with Feminism, Mary's Story, Mary's Song, uh, The Search for Intimacy, Conversations on Christian Feminism, which she co-authored with Margaret uh, Hebeth-Waite, and, and tons more. Uh, this is a this is an incredible interview. Clay and I were messaging. We have our little side message going on. And as she was talking throughout the interview, we were just like, this is amazing. Yeah. I can't believe this. It's more. so good. Uh, so you're going to love our conversation with Dr. Storkey. Uh, you're going to want to go out and get her book, Scars Across Humanity. And it's she's. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say, if you do typically listen to the podcast with kids in the car, there there are a few themes throughout the middle where she's describing the kind of things that happen around the world that could be um, something you want to look things out you, for. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so with all that said, let's get over to our interview. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash thestorymen. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. All right, our guest today is Dr. Elaine Storkey. Uh, Elaine, welcome to the Storyman Podcast. Thank you for being on with us today. It's a privilege. Thank you. Uh, so one of the one of the questions we always ask our guests is uh, what your geek credentials are. So is there anything that you are a geek about? Um, I absolutely adore children, little people. Um, I could spend <laughs> probably every day of every every bit of my life just uh, observing, uh, encountering, and listening to um, little people. And it's a huge privilege to have grandchildren. It's marvelous. <laughs> 
That's awesome. How many grandchildren do you have? <laughs> We've got six. Wow. Are they all in the UK with you? They are, yes, and um, most of them are boys. It took us about 58 years to produce a girl in our family. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you are a philosopher and a theologian by training, and I'm, I'm curious uh, because you so much of your work is in feminism and feminist philosophy and theology and in uh, activism, uh, but you studied Wittgenstein in uh, university, so I'm, I'm kind of curious what the path from... Wittgenstein feminism was. <laughs> it isn't obvious, is it? No. <laughs> the path was actually marriage and, and family, um, because when I uh, when I got married, I wanted to be home with my children predominantly, so I pulled out of academia for a few years. Um, but actually, I found that I I am a teacher. I'm a natural teacher, so I volunteered to teach um, at the local night school for uh, women who are housebound. Um, now I was experiencing their lives. And it really was a massive eye-opener to move from the privileged echelons of academia uh, to working-class community where women had very disadvantaged lives. And I think that just um, made the break for me, made me realize that I had been one of the privileged ones and um, an awful lot of women didn't have those privileges. And actually, uh, the ramifications were enormous. So, as a, I, I spent about a decade doing um, some adjunct work throughout a number of universities. And I was able to kind of stay on the fringes of a lot of the politics. And I've, I've seen and learned a lot about the, the American side. From your perspective, is, is there a great deal of difference between the university world and academia in Europe uh, as opposed to the States? Or do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yes, there are there are differences. I, I think we're far more informal still in in, in Europe, and probably most so in the United Kingdom um, mm-hmm. than in America. And my experience of teaching in American universities or has been that they are more formal. Um, there's much more status and much more emphasis put on status. And there are routes through university education and um, career patterns that, in a sense, we can often jump through in, in a different kind of way in the UK. So um, it's, it's, it's just it's different from that point of view. You've got kind of uh, people who are high-flying academics in the UK who don't even have doctorates. But mm-hmm. they, the fact that they've actually become specialized in their area and they've done an enormous amount of work gives them in, just, just a great respect and status. I don't think that happens much in, in the U- USA. No, it sounds like I picked the wrong continent because I'm just the person who is high-flying without a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> well, come over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm curious uh, also uh, because Clay, I know that when you were teaching, you worked with a lot of in a lot of universities that were making an effort to incorporate what in the states we call non-traditional students, which is basically anyone who doesn't go straight to um, university after graduating from from high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Elaine, you, with you mentioning that you worked, uh, you, you know, your kind of journey into feminism was with a lot of women who were disadvantaged, underprivileged. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how easy do they make it in the UK if you, to get an, a university education? Because in the United States, I think there's more of an effort to do that, but, mm-hmm. but certainly it hasn't been a priority that we feel like everyone should be able to do this if they want it. It's been yeah. very much looked at more as, and again, I think that's starting to change, but, but still just starting yes, well, to change. Here in the UK, we have the Open University, which 
really began in, in the 1960s and 70s. And I, um, I spent 15 years of my life teaching in the Open University, which really was for people of mature age 